I'm Deidre. And I'm Chelsea. And we're giving you a million murders. Hello, everyone. Hello. I hope you're doing well. See? Muy bien. So we hope everyone is doing well. Yes. Everybody. Everybody. Mm. Rock your body. Mm. Everybody. (laughs) Rock your body right. Back streets back. All right. All right. We know y'all have missed our singing. <laughs> All so our singing. We've been singing for you in the past couple ones. Some woman named Autumn is like, oh, there they go again. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Love yeah. you, Autumn. <laughs> I can't bless her. She just, you know, it wasn't for her, and that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I don't care. It's not. We do, we do what we do. We do what we do. We're not everyone's cup of tea, and we understand that. Oh, yeah. You know, just don't leave us a review. There's people <laughs> that fun. ain't my cup of tea. So. <laughs> no, we like everyone. Yeah, we like everybody. <laughs> okay, y'all. So I'm going to do another blast from the past um, from Screaming Sugar. But a lot of y'all haven't heard it. Mm-hmm. So we're doing it again. And this is a really good one. Oh, my God. We're back again. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to be doing the story of the Circleville Letter Writer. Yay! It's such a good story. I kind of tried to check in to see if there was anything new, but there are not any updates from the last time I did this back in like 2021, maybe. Yeah, something like it. Yeah, it's not, there's nothing new that I could find. So Circleville is a small town 25 miles from Columbus, Ohio. Why did I not go here? Why? If I was that close when I was at Obsessed Fest. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, anyway, Obsessed Fest was in Columbus, Ohio. It's the Obsessed Network, Obsessed with Disappeared, True Crime Obsessed. Um, so if y'all, some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so that's really close to where Obsessed Fest was. And everyone knows everyone in this town. Uh, in 1976, the small town went through a terrifying ordeal where someone stirred up all kinds of trouble. The letters were threatening people and talking about families' private lives. Sometimes things only the person the letter was addressed to would know. Trash. Mm-hmm. So, secrets that were somehow leaked and no one knew how. Like, this is the kind of stuff that was happening. Many of these letters were written with vulgar language and lewd artwork. Uh, they didn't have a return address. And appeared to come from somewhere within Columbus. So each letter was written in the same distinct style of block letters, which look so creepy. Like Like the Mac, like they cut them out of the magazine. No, like it's, you know, those, um, you know, when you're in elementary school and you have the paper that you use to trace the letters. Yes. And it's got the two oh. lines with the dotted in the middle. That's what it's like. But they draw their letters to go from the top to the bottom. Absolutely. But they're like, it's just a weird block lettering. And yeah. it's creepy. Um, yeah, I'll post, post it. it. Yeah. 
Um, it might have been an attempt to come to, sorry, it might have been an attempt to cover up the author's handwriting. So there were thousands of these letters that were sent out, and most of them were targeting politicians and city leaders. Um, but one family had a really tragic run-in with these letters, and that's the Gillespie family. Gillespie. Gillespie. So there's almost 14,000 people in the area of Circleville, mm -hmm. and lots of people were targeted. But Mary Gillespie, the mother of the family and local school bus driver, got the brunt of the harassment. So, I mean, she just really had, you know, they had it out uh -huh. for her. So, the writer revealed she was being watched, a married mother, and she was having an affair with the school superintendent named Gordon Massey. Oh, that's some tea. Yeah, so, like, it's out here spilling all her tea. And, you know, it was just out of nowhere. They obviously knew who she was, and the author of the letters demanded that she stop having her affair, and that this was not a prank. The letter said, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Not seriously. Uh -uh. Just serious. But anyway, everyone concerned had been notified and everything will be over soon. It's like, oh, okay. So she keeps getting these letters and they're about the same, saying the same things. Mm -hmm. She's freaking out, so she just hides them. She doesn't tell her husband and she just keeps one eye open out in town to see if she can spot who's watching her. Then one of the letters comes to the house addressed to Ron Gillespie, her husband. His letter said that he was to put an end to his wife's affair or die. And when Ron asks about the letter... And the affair, at first, Mary says she has no clue what the writer is talking about and that there's no affair taking place. So, whether or not the affair is true, the damage was done. The town was talking, Mary's reputation ruined. So, Ron and Mary just did their best to ignore the threats and just move on with their lives. But then another letter comes. Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. So they're just getting, I mean, this one's like, you're going to die. You know, do something about it. Then he gets another one two weeks later. He's like, you've done nothing. If you don't tell him, I'm telling everybody. So like this person has it out for this family. Mm -hmm. And so that's something going on. Uh, the couple started thinking about who the author of these letters could be. It's obviously someone who knows a lot of people in the community, probably someone in the community itself. So they thought it could have been Paul Freshour, and that's Ron's brother-in-law. So he's married. Paul Freshour is married to Ron's sister. So they decided to thrive off the panic that was taking over the town and sent Paul some letters outlining that they knew who he was and what he was up to. They also asked him to stop sending the letters and end things in a nonviolent manner. And it looked like their plan had worked. Um, they didn't know for sure if Paul was the anonymous writer, but after they sent him the letters, things seemed to calm down. So that's you know, looking like it was getting better. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to jump to August 19th, 1977. 
So how far is that? How far of a jump is that? Um, two years maybe. Two. No, just a year because this all started in seventy six. Oh, okay. Yeah. So seventy seven. Like it's been a little bit. It's just a normal day in the neighborhood until Ron gets this phone call that evening, mm-hmm. and. So he answers the phone and no one knows who was on the other line or what they said, but whatever it was, it pissed Ron off. Like Ron was mad. And we obviously know it was someone that had to do with the letters, you know, at this point. But back then, no one knew what was happening. Ron grabbed his pistol and just walked out of the house. He didn't tell the kids or his wife what was going on. He just had them bring him his gun and then he left. So, at an intersection close to where they lived, Ron is found in his vehicle that smashed against a tree, and he's dead. Okay, this was like, not long after he left, okay? And his gun was fired once, and the detectives couldn't figure out why it was fired, or if it was deliberate or not. Um, Like I said, the crash happened minutes after Ron drove away from the house, and no one heard the gunshot. So that he's right around the corner from the house. No one hears the gunshot. He wrecks. He's dead. And no one knows why his gun was fired. Like who he was shooting at. If he shot at anyone. What happened. You know. So the crash was ruled a drunk driving accident. Even though weird facts were coming out about the investigation. There was apparently one suspect that was eliminated by the police. A post-mortem exam recorded Ron's blood alcohol level was one and a half times the legal limit. Like 0.16, like, but that's what they're saying, that Mm -hmm. his blood alcohol level was that high. So everyone around Ron knew he wasn't a drinker, though. So they were like, there's no way that he could have this much alcohol in his system. Like, he didn't even drink. Um, He was actually a teetotaler, which means that he was sober all the time. Like, he did not... He doesn't get high. He doesn't get drunk. He doesn't do, do anything, really. Yeah, he doesn't do anything to, you know, intoxicate himself in one way or another. Um, so the fact that his levels were that high, it was very confusing to everyone. And the sheriff apparently admitted there was more to the crash than met the eye. But then whenever he was asked about this, like, well, what do you mean? What what more is there to see? He denied ever saying that. He's like, I never Ratchet. said that. Yeah. Okay. So soon the town started getting letters from the author again. And this time they were saying things um, like that the sheriff was involved in a cover up. Oh. Yeah. Uh, which is strange when you think about it, because if the letter writer was the killer... Why would he come out and be like, the sheriff's involved in a cover-up? Would it not benefit him, this person? You know, so that's kind of weird. But according to Paul, Fresh Hour, Ron's Mm brother-in-law, the sheriff initially ruled Ron's death a murder. And then when the only suspect they could think of passed a polygraph test, uh, he changed his mind. The writer also wrote saying that they needed to do a more thorough investigation. It was almost as if the writer wasn't satisfied with the accidental death conclusion, which once again, I mean, you're, you're in the clear. Yeah. If you tampered with anything, if you had something to do with his death, what are you doing? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. So Mary, 
the wife, is starting to get letters again, along with elected officials as well. Uh, The threats were the same as before. The hostility shown to Mary proved to be too much for her. Um, So, I mean, it's still saying the same thing. Tell, you better tell, you better tell. So later, Mary and the superintendent said they did have a relationship, but it started after the letters were sent, which I'm like, okay, are we sure about this? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Like, did she? I don't know. So they're saying that they never got together until after the letters, which I feel like if someone, if I wasn't with someone and everyone thought I was because of this letter writing situation, I would never. I'd be like, no, we can't because then they're going to think this. Mm -hmm. And maybe I shouldn't be that way and I shouldn't care. And if I like somebody, I like somebody, whatever. But it's too small of a town. Like, mm mm-mm. Yeah, small like our town. Yeah, I'm not going to prove anyone right in their head for being... Think you know. what you want to think. Yeah, like... Mm-mm. So, February 1983, six years after Ron Gillespie's death, Mary is driving her bus route. She's still a bus driver, driving all the kids. And at some point, the writer started putting up these signs. So, he's gone from letter writing to signs, okay? Like, he's doing mm-hmm. both. So, he put a sign up. Next to the road, he would put them up next to the roads in town. Mm-hmm. And one day, Mary had had a it. Lamb. <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. And she had had it with all of this. And so she's on her route, driving her bus, and she sees a sign that says, Mary Gillespie sucks. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. she's she's over it. Uh, so she pulls the sign down. She just yanks it down. When mm-hmm. she does... There's this little box and it's like a booby trap. And if she had pulled on the sign just right and stood in front of it, a gun in the small box would have went off and killed her. That's insane. Yeah. So it was all rigged to shoot the gun if it had been, you know. Yeah. Hit, pulled down, yanked, whatever the right way. That's what would have happened. Luckily, that's not what happened, though. So... The police checked the gun's serial number, and someone had tried to rub off the serial number, but it didn't work. So, amateurs, (laughs) like, come on. And so a lab was able to raise the number and come to find out the gun that was in the booby trap belonged to Paul Freshour, the brother-in-law. Okay. So, he had just separated from Ron's sister, Karen. And Paul had said that the gun had been stolen. Um, so on February 25th, 1983, Sheriff Radcliffe asked Paul to meet him to test the handwriting against the letters. To test his handwriting against the letters. Mm-hmm. Um, after the test, Paul took the sheriff to his garage to show him where he used to keep his gun. After that, the two go to the courthouse and Paul's arrested and charged with attempted murder. Aww. Yeah. On October 23rd, 1983, he's on trial for the attempted murder of Mary. He was never charged with writing the letters, but they are a big part of the evidence that was used against him. Uh Yes. Okay. And a handwriting expert testified that Paul was, in fact, the letter writer. Mary also testified that she thought he was the letter writer after his wife visited her with the same thought. Wow. Yeah. So, like... 
Your whole family thinks you did it. Your brother-in-law, your wife, your sister-in-law, they all think that you killed or that you wrote the letters. So Paul's boss also said he wasn't at work the day the booby trap was found. He said that he was at work? Wasn't at work. Wasn't at work. Mm-mm. So Paul had an alibi most of the day, but he never took the stand to defend himself. Even though he didn't take the stand, he always said he was innocent. He was convicted and given a 25-year sentence in prison. With Dang. Yeah, they weren't playing. With a minimum of seven years served. Aww. So, you know, he's got to at least be in prison seven years. Um, so while he's there, he receives letters from the writer who wants to keep him in prison. What? Yes. So not only is he like, you know dealing with this being innocent and being in jail and everything now he's getting letters being taunted by the letter writer themselves and he's in jail yeah and he's in jail from prison the letters were still going around the town as well they were still postmarked near columbus even though paul's prison was nowhere near columbus even the prison wardens didn't believe he was the letter writer the police still thought it could be him um but everybody else is like, like he's literally yeah. chilling in here. They said even if he wasn't writing the letters, he was responsible for the fact that they were still being written. The letter he received in prison said, now when are you going to believe me? You aren't going to get out of there. I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Uh-uh. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Uh -uh. Do you believe it now? Do you? Even when Paul was put in solitary confinement, the letters kept coming. The guards were checking his mail, and there was no way he was able to write the letters and get them sent past them. Uh It's crazy, though. I mean, so he's, he's in jail. He's in prison. I was about to say, prison. Solitary confinement. I know that's right. And nothing's happening. I mean, and they're still going on. So, in December of 1990, Paul became eligible for parole. He was denied parole due to the letters, even though he couldn't have sent them. So then, in May of 94, Paul was finally released. He continued saying he was framed. A journalist named Martin Yant investigated the story, and found another possible suspect that could have been the writer. He also discovered, talking to some locals, that people saw a suspicious man standing next to a yellow El Camino 20 minutes before Mary found the booby trap. Another bus driver on Mary's route saw this man and said he was parked in the same spot where the trap was found. Yant found out the suspect's brother owned the same type of car, and the description of the man doesn't match Paul, and he had a solid alibi for that specific time. Uh-huh. Okay, so like, still aren't sure about the letters, right? But then we've got this these eyewitnesses who have seen some man in a yellow El Camino, and so they kind of have a suspect for this. Um, but then the big guns come out. Unsolved, uh-huh. yes, Unsolved Mysteries comes to town. Okay, so like, okay, Unsolved Mysteries is in town. Six months after Paul was released, they aired this story on national TV. 
I've, of course, seen the episode because, you know, that's where I got this. And at the beginning of the episode, Robert Stack says, in December of 1993, Unsolved Mysteries received this postcard. It was not exactly in the vein of our usual viewer mail. The card read, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to... If you come to Ohio, if you come to Ohio, you L sickos will pay the Circleville writer. So, I mean, they've literally threatened unsolved mysteries. Like they found out everybody's probably excited in town. Oh, well, unsolved mysteries is coming. And he's Mm -hmm. like, we will not stand for this. Y'all don't show up here. Like anybody was going to get bullied. The disrespect. Yeah. So, of course, unsolved mysteries was like. We ain't scared. Like, they're literally like, we're not threatened. We're still, we're here. And we're about to, you know, tell you what's going on in this town. So they do. And then it airs, like I said, six months after he was released. Mm -hmm. Paul Fresh Hour. So, the latest update I could find was from July 3rd, 2012. It was a news segment from Channel 4 NBC News in Columbus, and they had actually talked to Martin Yant, the one who believes that Paul was innocent and that they had that oh, other yeah. suspect. Yeah. Um, Paul actually died in 2012 at the age of 70. Yeah. yeah so. 70? Yep. And in the interview, they said they couldn't find him, but they heard he probably wouldn't want to sit down for an interview. So. This interview happened before he died, but they couldn't mm-hmm. get to him. They couldn't find him to interview him. Um, by this point, Martin had also received several letters. So Martin Yanton is receiving letters, too, at this point. Mm-hmm. And one of them talked about Paul saying, see what he got. He will not get out of prison or Radcliffe will take his place. The letters and signs will not stop. Oh, Yeah. So... He's like, protect, don't do anything to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. But then he's like, I'll send him to jail if he gets out. Yeah. If Paul gets out. So it was weird. So the letters continued into the late 1990s and then stopped. The town carried on like nothing ever happened. Wow. Yeah. So Martin believes that there are three writers involved and none of them are Paul. So one is believed to be the son of Gordon Massey, the superintendent Mm -hmm. that they thought People, you know, the letter writer thought was sleeping with Mary. And the second was thought to be a co-worker of Mary's who was infatuated with her. In 1999, he became a fugitive on the run after, yeah, after raping an 11-year-old girl. My goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, Uh -uh. whether or not he had anything to do with it, he's still a terrible person. Uh So, you know. And then the third was thought to be Ron's sister. Okay, so, you know, the one who was married to Paul, Paul's yeah. wife. Um, it's thought that Karen's boyfriend, so I guess she was, you know, had somebody else at some point. Because mm-hmm. they split. I think they split. But anyway, while he was in jail, it was... or. No, not in jail. No, before they split up. Yeah, she got this boyfriend. Um, It's thought that her boyfriend was the man seen next to the El Camino on the day the booby trap was discovered. Oh. Yeah, one of her relatives had owned that type of car at that time. So I guess one of Ron and Karen's 
somebody's had a car like that. I know. I said, oh, okay. So despite the evidence, the police still maintain Paul was the Circleville writer. What do you think? I don't think he did it. I think, I don't know, all the politicians and stuff, there were so many of them. I feel like some of them are probably fakes, kind of like the Zodiac Killer when people started, you know, getting off on doing that. But then the ones for her, I think it may have been somebody close to Ron. But then why did Ron die? And how did Ron have all that alcohol in his system when he wasn't a drinker? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, like, his murder, just unsolved. They're calling it an accident. But what also could have happened in the time between now and then that he could have even drank all of that? And I think they said they found, like, a vodka bottle in his truck or something. I can't remember. But it was like, none of it was making sense. Yeah. You know? So, who knows? I don't know. It's just weird. So something happened to him. We don't know what. And I don't know if we'll ever know. Like. That's sad. Could you imagine? No. Being murdered and then. No one. Like none of your friends and family get in peace. Yeah. No. And then like your uncle goes to jail. For your dad's murder. That he didn't do. Yeah. Well actually no. Not for his dad's murder. Nobody went to jail for his murder. Or prison for his murder. Your uncle goes to jail for writing the letters. And attempting to kill your mom. Yeah, it's a hot mess. So, that is the Circleville writer story. I find it so intriguing. I need to know what happened. Who did it? Did you do it? (laughs) Nope. But yeah, so that's my story for today. And, um, oh, something to just tell everyone they are coming out and saying that they are going to test the DNA that has been found, um, that they have collected for the Tylenol murders. Ooh. Yeah. So they're starting to test that DNA now. So. Listen, whoever put those, which I may cover that. So if you don't know about that, you may know soon um, about the Tylenol murders. But yeah, they're testing the DNA. Coming to a podcast near you. Yes. Yes. Now, if you have any requests, comments, concerns, you just want to say hi, you can Email us at a million murders at gmail.com. And you can jump on our Instagram and check out the pictures of the places, people, and things. And you can hop on our Facebook page slash group. You may as well say it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to post, you know, when we upload an episode or if, like, there's something going on, we try to let y'all know. And if you'd rather message us on there with comments, questions, or, like, requests or anything, you can do that there. Or if you want to interact with listeners, or uh, if you want to interact with us on there, that's fine, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, thank you all for tuning in. And we hope that you come back for a a million million more. more. Bye. Bye!